It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. I cannot believe it. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents. Win this game for one another. The final drive. 99 yards away. With Corey Law Bounty. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Great afternoon to everyone and welcome to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty. Yes, Corey LeBounty has officially arrived on the final drive here on WNSP. I could not be more excited to be joining you all. And again, for those who are just now tuning in, my name is Corey LeBounty, and we're going to be taking you home every afternoon on the final drive from 3 to 6 p.m., Michael Brauner is behind the glass with me. And again, 3 to 6 p.m. every single day, Monday through Friday. And we just want to bring a fresh new approach to what we're doing here, bring you a lot from the preps to the pros. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, folks. Again, Corey LeBounty has myself been entrenched in the Mobile, Alabama sports scene for my entire life and I'm very passionate about what happens in Mobile, Alabama and the hashtag 251 and there's so many great things that have gone on here locally and Mobile, Alabama is such a rich tradition of sports history but it all started back for me probably about 25 years ago here on WNSP when I was able to be a part of the Pigskin Pete show and to call in and give some background scores on a couple of high schools that I had gone out to watch. And he gave me that opportunity to first call in to WNSP. And I want to thank Tim Taylor for that opportunity. But when I called into the Pigskin Pete show, I definitely had a huge passion for not only high school athletics, but for collegiate athletics and professional athletes and professional athletics as well. And I started off as a high school basketball coach at John L. LaFleur High School and coached there for 15 years and was able to be around some of the biggest and the best athletes, was able to win three state championships as an assistant coach at LaFleur High School. So I really, really love the basketball scene that goes on around the Mobile and Baldwin County area. And within the 15 years there, I coached both boys and girls as an assistant coach and had an opportunity to see some of the best players come through the Mobile, Alabama area growing up as well, which kind of led to my passion for coaching basketball. But we went from coaching high school basketball. I've coached at UMS Wright, everything from intramural basketball to middle school basketball and also have made stops at Faith Academy with Coach Woody Head and have had an opportunity to spend three years at Faith Academy there with the Faith Academy Rams and was at Coastal Alabama South, also known as Faulkner State 
community college and was there for three years coaching there on the girls' side or the women's side for collegiate basketball. So junior college basketball is really what I'm passionate about also and have done a lot of high school radio for the AHSAA, have covered the Super 7 and the Super 6 as well as the finals that go on in Birmingham, Alabama. So that brings me a full circle as far as from a radio broadcasting standpoint. Have also been blessed enough to be a basketball official here and be harassed by some morning show guy by the name of Mark Heim. And he gave me a hard way to go in his CYO coaching days and as he was coaching his sons, but loved to wrap it up with Mark Heim and watch him go on the sidelines and coach his teams to a championship there. I've also been blessed to be the PA announcer at Ladd Peebles Stadium for over 15 years. So that voice that you hear at Ladd Peebles Stadium, whether it was five schools that were using Ladd Peebles Stadium as home, that was my home behind the microphone as well. So again, just really entrenched into what goes on and March Madness is coming up. For those who did not know, the shot that rolled the tide is really where I kind of made my mark from having an opportunity to have that one shining moment with Ronnie Arrow and the South Alabama Jaguars. I grew up as the ball boy at South Alabama and was a part of their basketball team growing up all the way from elementary school, really through my high school tenure filming for them as well. So just really love Mobile, Alabama and everything that it has been able to do for me and just really excited to be on the final drive on WNSP and we're going to bring you a lot of local product because again when you start looking about what you guys want to hear about I get asked this all the time Michael Bronner I get asked well who's playing today and where are they playing and that's everything from collegiately all the way to high school athletics and what I want to do is I want to bring that to the radio listeners to give you guys an opportunity really to chime in to where if you want to know where certain people are going to be playing certain teams, we have teams that we haven't talked about in a long time. We have Bishop State Community College. It's right here in our backyard. We have Spring Hill College. We have the University of Mobile. We also have Coastal Alabama, who has multiple campuses. And there's been some outstanding talent that have gone through all these institutions, whether it be two-year or four-year. And we just want to bring and highlight a lot more of those local coaches and local athletes and bring them back into you. And we want to thank everybody who's been tuning in to the app, and that's a great way to get in touch with us here on the app. We encourage you to use the app because we're going to get back with you, and we're definitely going to respond as well. So, again, it's just an opportunity here for myself to really get Mobile, Alabama product and flavor back out there. Of course, we're always going to talk Alabama. We're always going to talk Auburn. We're always going to talk South Alabama. And anything that you guys want to talk about that you know that's going on from a local sports scene, we definitely want to hear from you as well. You can chime in at 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us here on the final drive and we have a caller now and would love for you to go ahead and call in at 251-694-1055 is how you can reach out and get in touch with us and we'll we'll hear from you because again we're only going to be as good as 
would you guys get back to us? And a lot of times I know putting myself in the position of a listener, I want to know what's going on. And if you guys know what's going on, whether it be from the Pee Wee Football League all the way to South Alabama playing football or baseball or softball, we want to know about it because we want to give our listeners an opportunity to tune in, Mike. Absolutely. And new show, new. Uh, hope, hopefully we can give a little fresh perspective on, on a bunch of different things. Final drive, Corey and Michael. Uh, I, I'm excited about a lot of the things we have coming. So welcome aboard, Corey, and uh, enjoy the ride, everyone. Obviously, you know, call caller friendly is what we say. So please do call in with anything you want to talk about. No question about it. 251-694-1055 is where you can tune in and listen to us. And there couldn't have been a better and bigger day to make my debut here on WNSP than something outside of the Super Bowl. And an outstanding game last night, whether you were able to stay up and watch it or whether you just wanted to check out the halftime show or whether you just were watching it for the commercials. The one thing that as a viewer I know everybody wanted to see was an outstanding played game. And Michael, when it comes down to a game-winning field goal, it may not have been in dramatic fashion because when you start talking about the Super Bowl, which we're going to do a lot of today and on today's show, I was not personally happy the way the game ended. But at the same time, when you start looking at, we'll have Dean Wade in here to talk about the officiating and the pressure that is put on officials to make the correct call. At the end of the day, I think the call was correct, even though I don't like the way that the game ended. The call at the end was the first defensive pass interference or holding the entire the entire night, and there there were a couple that were worse than the one that was called. At was it probably defensive holding? I guess, but just by the way the game was called, the way the game was called the whole time, you just you can't throw that flag right there. Uh, and I I just I just hate that this is the first thing we're talking about with with regards. To like you said, a really phenomenal game. Two quarterbacks that went at it for fifty-eight minutes, and it was it was phenomenal the whole night. I was thinking with about five minutes left in the game, what are we even going to talk to Dean Wade about? Because there wasn't really any anything egregious ref-wise, and that's how it should be. It's the Super Bowl, and then for it to end that way, I I, I just. It just leaves such a bad taste in my mouth, football-wise. Obviously, we talked about last week, Roger Goodell comes out and says officiating has never been better. And then for that call on a national spotlight to uh, to end that way, it, it just it just leaves such a sour taste in my mouth from what was such a good game, such a good season, such a great playoffs. Uh, just, just a shame that, that that's how it had to end. Well, here's the biggest thing, Mike. I mean, we're talking about... Eagles corner, James Bradbury, admitting to holding on the third and eight play. He did. That really changed the difference in the game. And you see a lot of players that don't want to take that type of pressure. And you knew that the camera was going to be on them. You knew all eyes were going to be on them. And from a player standpoint, there's nobody that was more disappointed than James Bradbury. And you just ask for officiating to be consistent. And, again, we'll talk to Dean Waite later on in today's show about the officiating and the type of 
eyeballs, really the world watching that game come down to it. But what a phenomenal job by Kadarius Tony, Mobile's own Kadarius Tony, Matty T. Blunt's finest Kadarius Tony, Florida Gators' finest Kadarius Tony. When you start looking at three local players getting some nice hardware that they're going to be able to have for the rest of their life. And those three players, of course, being Kadarius Tony, who set a Super Bowl record. And any time, records are meant to be broken. But any time you can have someone from Mobile, Alabama, in the Super Bowl and being a vital part of what take what was taking place in regards to him having a receiving touchdown and then setting the Super Bowl record for his punt return over 65 yards. He wanted to get in so badly. And too. I was praying that he was going to get in because it would have been the first time ever that someone was able to score a punt return touchdown in the Super Bowl, which would have been huge. But again, Kadarius Tony setting that record for the Super Bowl, 65 yards on a punt return, which really jolted the Chiefs and whatever they gave Patrick Mahomes at halftime. Anytime I have an injury, I want some of it. Anytime I wake up not feeling well, I want some of it because you can call it Mahomes magic. You can call it what you want to. And my brother, he, he, he said the NFL is scripted, Corey, the way that that happened because you're down double digits and you're ineffective in the first half. And Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, an injured Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs come up alive and score on every possession in the second half. He was in a lot of pain, too, when he re-aggravated it uh, late in the first half there. I mean, he was I mean, he, he was writhing in pain on, on the bench there. And, uh, apparently, well, you choose to believe this if you want, according to the trainer, he got no treatment at halftime. Uh, whether, you, whether you want to believe that or not, uh, maybe he was shot up with something directly to the ankle. I don't know. I don't know why they'd have really any reason to to lie about that, but according to the trainer, he got no treatment at halftime and kind of just gutted it out. So, if that's the case, I mean, I mean he looked like a healthy quarterback in the second half. I have a hard time believing there was no treatment whatsoever, but either way, I mean, what what a gutsy performance. It really was gutsy and it was magical because again, when you start looking at Patrick Mahomes winning his second Super Bowl, Michael, you start putting them in rare, rare air, basically, Already. in regards to being the most valuable player. And, you know, folks that really tuned in and really loved and wanted an epic Super Bowl, anybody who wanted to see a great game got an opportunity to see a great game because you didn't want to blow out. You wanted it to be close, and you wanted to hold the attention of the viewer past Rihanna at halftime and we definitely want to hear from you later on in the show about did you enjoy the halftime did you not enjoy welcome back to the final drive with Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner right here on WNSP 105.5 and before we went to our first break we were talking about of course the Super Bowl and we would love to hear your thoughts on yesterday's game. 251-694-1055 is how you can get in, or you can definitely hit us on the app, and we'll respond on the app. 251-694-1055. And when I started thinking about this game, Mike, 
people ask me who did I think was going to win, and it's one of those things where my heart was definitely pulling for the Eagles, but my head was saying that the Kansas City Chiefs were going to find a way. And when you have a number one seed taking on a number one seed, that's what you want to see. And when you have two elite quarterbacks that are playing the same position, Mike, and not only playing the same position are the most valuable player and the most valuable player runner-up, you can't ask for a better situation from sitting there watching the game. And you you look at Jalen Hurts' final numbers, 27 out of 38 for 304 yards, one touchdown, and that one fumble that Jalen Hurts had when it was a scoop and score opportunity for the Kansas City Chiefs, when you start looking at the final score, 38 to 35, yes, that was the difference in the game. But if there's one player that I respect the most in the NFL, it is going to be one Jalen Hurts. And that is because of the way he handled himself at the University of Alabama being benched, as well as not only being benched, but taking his success and his failures from the University of Alabama to Oklahoma and wanting to become a better player and becoming a better player at Oklahoma as far as from a passing game standpoint and then just being humble, taking all the criticism that he took while he first started his NFL journey and being drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. And here it is. He says that you win or you learn. You don't win or lose. You win or you learn. And I guarantee that I've learned about Jalen Hurts, you're going to get better. And by him having being, being a part of that organization, that franchise, he has just continued to energize the Philadelphia Eagles. But I just love the fact that you have the two best teams in football that really played a phenomenal game when you start looking at it. And it's just amazing how Philadelphia was able to have all the first-half success and then just continue when you're down – 24 to 14 at halftime as the Chiefs were the adjustments that they made especially the scoring barrage that they had in the fourth quarter scoring 17 points in the fourth quarter and of course again I didn't like how the game ended in regards to the pass interference call but neither here nor there because at the end of the day you saw the field goal kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs there was a lot of pressure on him as well and if he does not make that kick Harrison Bucker if he doesn't make that kick Mike you saw him miss one earlier and it it dinged off of the upright and we're possibly playing overtime now would I've loved to seen overtime absolutely I would have because you sit there and you take a couple of knees looking to line your kicker up and it doesn't go the way that you want it to go that's a lot of pressure on the kicker as well especially having missed one earlier yeah, I, I mean, it's a 27-yarder. You got to make that kick if you're an NFL kicker, uh, if you're Butker. So at, at that point, you, I should hope he's going he's gonna to put that through the uprights. But going, going back to Mahomes for a second, I, this, is, this is really an, an Andy Reid legacy game for me. I mean, this all, to, all for the last two weeks, the talk had been Eagles, uh, this, this elite Eagles defense, this generational front seven. They didn't have a single sack. It was a complete and utter defense. I mean, we can talk about the penalty, but here's the thing. If you're blaming the loss on the penalty, well, that's pretty foolish. Uh, the Eagles couldn't get a stop 
in the second half. The the entire second half, and you can sit you can sit with that if it's just Mahomes being magical and Mahomes uh, just destroying you. But receivers are open. Uh, they're scheme they're scheming guys open. On the two touchdowns, the one to Sky Moore and the one to Kadarius Tony, it's just uh, Andy Reid out scheming Jonathan Gannon and Nick Sirianni. It, just an Andy Reid masterclass in this Super Bowl, and, and to do it against Philadelphia to win his second Super Bowl after the way the season ended last year in the AFC Championship against Cincinnati, where really he got outclassed by Zach Taylor in the second half in that game. Uh, really, just a, a special, special coaching performance for Andy Reid. Well, I, I think the adjustments that were made were very special because in the first half, you're like, "What in the heck is Andy Reid doing?" And why are they not making the adjustments? Because, again, I, I like to look at the Super Bowl props. And one of those, you and I were talking before the show came on about the last eight years in a row. If you won that coin toss, you were going to lose the game. And now that that myth has been debunked, of course, we know that the Chiefs did lose or, excuse me, win the coin toss. And they went ahead and said, OK, we'll defer to the second half. And because of that, they were able to go ahead and in the third quarter find a way to get on the board and find a way to win this game. And that's what was impressive to me is the fact that the enemy and I don't know why Eric Bieniemy is not a head coach in the NFL right now, because I think that even after Kansas City won that first world championship that he was being considered. But since that time, he's still been overlooked for numerous jobs. And I don't really know what it's going to take for Eric Bieniemy to be hired as an NFL head coach. But it's not going to get much better on his resume than having two Super Bowls and being able to have all the love and support that his team that his team is showing him at this point in time. And it's ironic because Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator, is up for that uh Cardinals job. But the Cardinals have, you know, put a pause on the hiring, whatever the mess going on in Arizona is, uh, in terms of that coaching search. But the enemy just completely outclassed Gannon last night. And it's hard I think a reason probably that Bienemy doesn't have a job yet. It's hard as an offensive coordinator under the head coach of someone who's considered to be one of the best offensive geniuses in the history of the game it's hard for to judge you know who's more responsible for that offensive success obviously you have Patrick Mahomes you have Travis Kelsey so it, it, I understand may, maybe teams are, are hesitant to make that decision uh that being said you know Andy Reid take goes out of his way to credit Eric Bieniemy. I, I I think Eric Bieniemy is phenomenal I I think he's one of the best offensive coordinators in the league I, I just think in general in terms of the coaching search Guys get dis discredited when you're coordinating under a uh, under an offensive guy who's probably calling the plays himself. Well, again, I, I think that to get Jalen Hurts' phenomenal performance yesterday, and do I think that he played better than Patrick Mahomes? Absolutely, I do. But at the end of the day, oh, Jalen outplayed Mahomes last night. Jalen was phenomenal. Mahomes is magical period what he did was magical in regards to being gutsy and finding a way to help his team and propel them to a win and so much more to talk about on the super bowl and the follow-up on the super bowl coming up next tony sakalis will give us a wrap up 
when you look at the new rankings, you're going to see the Alabama Crimson Tide coming in at number one and making history. We'll be right back here on the final drive. This is Jordan Farley from the University of Alabama. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Roll Tide. Welcome back to the final drive with Michael Brauner and Corey Labounty right here on WNSP 105.5. And joining us on the final drive, I know he'll have a lot of input on what's going on with the Alabama Crimson Tide basketball program, who is ranked number one in the country. That's right. I said it. I said the Alabama Crimson Tide men's basketball program is ranked number one in the country. And that's something that we have not been able to say for over 21 years. And Michael Bronner, I think, might have been one years old or one year old when the Alabama Crimson Tide were ranked number one in the country in men's basketball. And Tony, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Hey, thanks for having me on. Tony, let's talk about that. that that's history-making as far as it's not every day that you get a chance to see the Alabama men's basketball program be ranked number one in the country. But Coach Oates had a lot to say about that today after their rankings came out and you see Purdue lose this weekend. And again, you know that Alabama and Houston have played head to head. Were you at all surprised with the Crimson Tide catapulting to number one after the performance they had in the jungle this weekend against Auburn? I think it's because Alabama beat Houston that you would allow them to jump over Houston. So I'm not surprised with Purdue losing that Alabama jumps them. So it's not as surprising when you look at the fact that Alabama went into Houston and beat Houston. Well, that's big time for this huge momentum taking. Uh, you know, the state of Alabama had Auburn ranked number one, and now you have Alabama ranked number one Auburn a year ago and then Alabama again this year. I can't recall a better two-year time period for the state of basketball in the state of Alabama for both programs. And again, Auburn came in unranked because of them having a couple of tough road losses. But Alabama coming in looking to secure a win at the jungle at Auburn on Saturday, were there any surprises that you took out of that game? Well, no, I mean, I expected Auburn to start hot, and they did, and I expected a lot of what Auburn to do to kind of try to limit Alabama at the perimeter and limit Brandon Miller, and that worked to a certain extent, but then, you know, you just can't let a team go, what, 80% or higher at the rim, um, and you know, basically, yeah, Auburn did take away um, Alabama's three-point opportunities, but Auburn was able to get to the hole and um, really just kind of, you know, kind of exploit uh, Auburn down low. So I think um, it wasn't necessarily a surprise. I wasn't expecting Brandon Miller to go 0 for 7 from 3, but it just shows you that this Alabama team can win when, when he does that. And it shows you that he can still contribute. What did he have, 13 and 6? missing seven three-pointers that's not bad 
Rylan Griffin was definitely a difference maker for the Crimson Tide. And that's not a name that we've talked a lot about. The 6'5 freshman out of Dallas, Texas, really played a phenomenal game and just was in 20 minutes wound up having 16 points and a couple of rebounds. But when you can start putting four Crimson Tide players scoring in double figures, whether Alabama only shoots six out of 21 from beyond the arc or not, I think when you can have four or five players in double figures, you're going to have an opportunity to beat any team in the country, regardless of what you're shooting from beyond the arc. Yeah, definitely. You look at Ryan, Ryan Griffin, and you know, I'm glad you pointed him out. He had what I thought was the, the key, like I guess, minute of the game where he hit two free throws, uh, goes back, um, you know, gets a, a key block from the perimeter, gets his own rebound from that, and then hits a three on the other end. And that really changed the momentum. I think that was with about like uh, five or seven minutes left in the game. Um, and he's a guy that if you look at him, I mean, he's gotten double digits in, what, four of his last five games. Um, you know, 15 against Oklahoma, four, uh, 12 against Vanderbilt, 14 against LSU, and 16 against Auburn. So he's really coming on on the right time for Alabama. And he's a lanky guard that can come in and, you know, just, Oh, he's a starter on a lot of teams, you know, and um, he's been shooting lights out from three. And to have a guy like that with that length, that defensive ability, and that three-point shooting off the bench is, is really going to be a weapon for Alabama. Tony, you brought up Brandon Miller going, I believe it was 0 for 7 from three. What do you make of this team's ability to just win games in multiple ways? If one thing isn't working, then they'll go to another thing and just lean on their defense and, and be able to uh, to win games in different ways. Yeah, that's the thing that you know encourages me the most about Alabama. If you look at them as a real title contender, you're going to have to go through uh, an NCAA tournament stretch where you're not going to hit on three points for one game. You know, you're going you're to go cold at some point during the tournament. You can't just rely on you know hitting 23s in, in, in every game you play. Um, I think with this Alabama team, though, it's, like I said, it's so long. It can rebound. It can play good defense. Um, it doesn't necessarily always need to hit. And, and you know. Um, I did think to a certain extent Auburn making Alabama go to half court, uh, that might be a model that a better team can you know, pull off against Alabama. And it's not something that Alabama looked totally comfortable doing. But at the same time, they were able to, to adapt and, and even you know, play to that and, and exploit that to a certain extent. So I think that's, you know, that versatility is going to come in so key for Alabama in terms of just you know, there's not one way to beat them and there's not one player that you can just take out of the game um, and that's the kind of thing you look for in a champion I think that's the biggest thing as well when you start talking about the best thing to look for in a champion and the Alabama Crimson Tide have never made it to the final four in school history outside of women's basketball in 1994 who made it to the final four under Rick Moody but that means that there's a, a bigger bullseye on the back of the Alabama Crimson Tide. We know when Alabama made that surge earlier last month, you start seeing them play a little bit tighter because the way that they played against Mississippi State, it did not work well when they played Oklahoma on the road. And Coach Oates talked about that, and he kind of compared it to the Nick Saban rat poison analogy and wanting to stay away from the rat poison. But talk about that huge bullseye now for Alabama basketball instead of Alabama football. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, the thing about it is, you know, responding well off of a win. This will be an emotional game for them to go into Auburn and come out with a win like this. And then you're going to couple that with being the number one team in the nation, which I know the players say they don't pay attention to rankings, but they're going to hear about being the number one team, and it does put a bullseye on your back. And now you're going into, you know, a top ten matchup at Tennessee where Tennessee's struggling, but Tennessee's still a good team, so you can't go into that game um, – taking Tennessee lightly at all. I mean, this was always going to be one of the toughest games on Alabama's FCC schedule. And regardless of, you know, the way Tennessee's playing, they've lost two buzzer beaters in a row. So, you know, they're going to be hungry for a win. They're obviously not as bad as what their record is indicating because they've gotten a tough draw the last couple games. So I think this is going to be a tough matchup and a real big test to see how Alabama responds. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be crazy if Alabama comes out of you know Auburn and Tennessee with back-to-back wins on the road and two really tough places to play. Well, I think that this Alabama will be a, a sign of the times as what to expect for Alabama because when you start looking at the regional sites or the NCAA tournament sites, if Alabama holds on as a one seed, they have an opportunity to be sent to Birmingham, Alabama, which is essentially in their backyard, and there'll be a huge contingent of Crimson Tide fans there if Alabama holds that number one seed. But you mentioned Tennessee, the Volunteers at 19 and 6. I think one of the most dangerous teams in the SEC. And it's going to be when you lose a buzzer beater to Vanderbilt and then turn around and lose the way that they did against Missouri. I think that Tennessee on the road, if that game was at Coleman Coliseum, I think that you could really say Alabama would be favored in that situation. But even though Alabama's the number one team in the country, I think you just said it, Tony. How can Alabama respond? Because that's what they're going to start seeing past the round of 64 in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, they just got to play the same way they've been playing. They can't let up. You know, we saw them kind of let up against Oklahoma and, you know, come out slow. And then Tennessee's a team well, that's not going to shoot you out of the, the arena like Oklahoma did, but it, it's a team that can really frustrate you, um, you know, with their defense. And it, it, it can it can cause problems for Alabama. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to try to do some of the same things that Auburn did. Um, and Tennessee's, I think, a better team than Auburn, so I, I think maybe it, they can, you know, take advantage of that. Maybe they can look at some of the things that worked for Auburn and, and maybe try to exploit that a little bit, um, a little bit more even. But um, I think for Alabama, it's they are the better team. You know, you, you mentioned if this game was in Coleman, they'd definitely be favored. I, I still think they would be favored, you know, in Knoxville. It's just a matter of um, if they – Stay focused. You know, I think you can make the argument that if they play the same game they did against Auburn, I don't think Brandon Miller's going to go up for seven again. So, I mean, maybe he provides the boost uh, against Tennessee. Uh, this Alabama team is going to be favored, you know, against most teams that plays from here on out. Uh, it's a matter of kind of playing to that potential. And it's basketball. You know, crazy things happen. It's not like football where you know you can just be the better team and uh, you know. As crazy as things happen in basketball, there's a lot more closer games. So, you know, Alabama is probably going to drop another game in the regular season, you would think. Um, so they just got to kind of keep be on their toes and, and not take anyone lightly. We're speaking with Tony Sakalas, 
editor for Tide Illustrated. And when you start looking at the way Alabama has to finish, you want to finish strong four games remaining on Alabama's schedule. And you mentioned what those were. Alabama at Tennessee, Georgia coming to Coleman Coliseum, Alabama going on the road to South Carolina, and Arkansas coming to Alabama. I think that the Tide will be favored in all of those games, but you want to go ahead and find a way to play your best basketball late. You're going to have that huge target on your back. But when you started looking at the beginning of this season, and we had a chance here in Mobile, Alabama, to see the Alabama Crimson Tide up close and personal when they did play the South Alabama Jaguars here at the Mitchell Center, got a chance to see their length and the ability that they had from a depth standpoint Did you think that they would be, at the beginning of the year, at any point in time, ranked number one in the country? I'm just not used to seeing Alabama basketball as the number one team in the country. So, no, I knew they were going to have a good team. And once it became apparent how good Brandon Miller was, I I, I thought that they could be, you know, that contending for a national title good. So, I mean, am I shocked? By now, I've seen enough of Alabama basketball. And, you know, I'm not as shocked at the beginning of the season. I, I just... I, I, it would have been like, a, they're going to be good, but I'll believe number one when I see it. And, you know, obviously now we've seen it. Um, and it's not like they're, you know, a trendy number one. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, even before they were number one, thought that they were the best or the most talented team in basketball, in college basketball. So, uh, you know, it's a well-deserved number one. Um, probably would have happened sooner if they didn't have that hiccup at Oklahoma. And so, um, it's been coming for a while, so it's not surprising as of now, maybe back in November, yeah, maybe a little bit. Also, games left against Auburn and A&M on Alabama's schedule, but when you start talking about the final six games that they do have left, uh, those two games being played in the month of March where we begin March Madness, Tony, it is very interesting to see Alabama ranked number one in something else besides football but it just goes to show what Nate Oates vision has been for this program what great recruiting can do for you and again I I say build the Alabama Crimson Tide a new arena and I think that's going to be at a high priority level especially if the Crimson Tide can continue to make a great push late yeah I mean that's something the fans really want uh yeah, they've been clamoring for for a long time. Another, I'll believe it when I see it, uh, will be that stadium. I mean, how how long have we been asking for a new stadium? And then, you know, uh, in terms of Alabama, it just seems like forever. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, my entire time on the beat, you know, from 2016, fans have been wanting a, a new stadium. So we'll see. Yeah, there's plans in the work. It's a beautiful stadium if you look at the renderings. Um, and, and the, the state of this program, yeah, it deserves a new stadium. The good thing, though, for Nate Oates and his program is Alabama's got great facilities, you know, and, and, you know, there's nothing wrong necessarily with the court or anything like that in Coleman. It's just really for the fans uh, and the environment, you know. But this team, the way that it's performing, that it's being a number one team in the nation, it's, it's turning into what, you know, likely will become a perennial contender at least as far as as long as Nate Oates is there. I think it deserves that that new stadium and that feel that we had at Auburn, Uh, that kind of environment. um, I think you could really have that uh, at Alabama with a reworked stadium.
Welcome back to the final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brauner. Want to welcome you guys to the new show on WNSP as we're getting ready to hit the top of the hour. This hour, we were able to kind of introduce the final drive to the listeners of Mobile, Alabama, and we'll give you guys a recap for sure. But I want to thank Tony Sukalis for jumping on board. And again, Michael, when you start looking at the Alabama Crimson Tide being ranked number one in the country, I love the fact that Auburn was able to establish basketball in the state of Alabama on a national standpoint one year ago, and then Alabama being able to piggyback off of that now for sure. Yeah, I mean, the the number one ranking was a bit of a shock today. Uh, I don't think anyone – Houston didn't play this weekend, and Purdue obviously lost to Northwestern. So it seemed like there was a chance, but I, I don't know about you. I, I kind of expected Houston to uh, to stay there. Well, again, it goes back to showing the strength of the Southeastern Conference, and it just means more. Of course, you look at this weekend, you had the South Carolina Lady Gamecocks or the Gamecocks taking on the LSU Tigers. That was a one-versus-three matchup, and now the SEC shows the strength that it continues to have, having both the men and women atop of the pole. I think that just is very special for the SEC because, again, it shows the dominance that this conference can and will have across the board and we always talk about it means more as the SEC slogan says and that's obvious that it's just not a football conference that it's just not a gymnastics conference that it's just not a baseball conference it proves that now that you can really be taken seriously in men's basketball as well and I think that it's not about how you start it's going to be how you ultimately finish can South Carolina's women finish the deal? Can the Alabama Crimson Tide men's basketball team finish the deal and continue to have that clean sweep as the men and women's reigning top team in the country? That'll be interesting to watch moving forward. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined with Michael Brauner. At the top of the hour, we're going to have some Auburn insight for you. The legendary Hall of Famer, Sonny Smith, will be joining us to give us a recap of what he saw in the jungle this weekend and moving forward for Auburn men's basketball program. From Mobile. I cannot believe it! Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents. Win this game for one another! The final drive. 99 yards away. With Corey Law Bounty. Do your job and play together! The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app.
Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm your host, Corey Labounty. Behind the glass is Michael Brauner, and we want to thank you for tuning in to the debut of the final drive here on WNSP. Again, coming off of the Super Bowl, plenty to talk about here on the final drive, and not only the Super Bowl, but basketball being getting ready and prepared. I call it the February frenzy that's going on right now as we sit and we battle for position in March Madness that is coming up. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in to the final drive here in the second hour of our debut show. And somebody who's tuned in and making a debut on this afternoon's final drive is former head coach of the Auburn Tigers, Sonny Smith. And if you've ever had a chance to go to the jungle and looked in the rafters, there is Sonny Smith's banner that hangs with the legendary greats of Auburn men and women's basketball. And talking with Coach Sonny Smith, it's always a pleasure because he is no stranger to not only the game of basketball, but has a passion for radio and just being accessible. And we want to thank and welcome the legendary Hall of Fame coach, Sonny Smith, to the final drive. Coach, I hope all is well. And I know things didn't go the way you wanted to this weekend with the Auburn Tigers, but a great atmosphere nonetheless. Great atmosphere. Anytime you play at uh, Neville Arena, you're going to have a great atmosphere. That's, they fill it up every night, uh, standing room only, and uh, they they always play very, very well at home. And uh, sometimes uh, sometimes they play extraordinarily well, and they didn't play that way as, as well as last weekend, but actually played a game that they could have won in a lot of situations. Well, I'll tell you what, Coach, you're blessed with the opportunity to continue to work with the Auburn Tigers alongside Andy Burcham as you listen in to Auburn Tigers men's basketball on the Auburn Sports Network. And, Coach, when you start talking about this year's team, the Auburn Tigers, a lot of expectations came in for this Auburn Tigers team, and currently they are 17-8. and and have lost some heartbreakers. They had an opportunity to be up on Alabama, and they really played Texas A&M tough. And again, they Mm -hmm. held the volunteers to only 46 points. But when you start talking about this year's Auburn team, of course, there's no Jabari Smith on this team. There's no Kessler on this team. So they're having to kind of find their own identity. But when you lose those heartbreakers, I know you want to learn from them as well, and is that something you've seen so far? Well, this team is, uh, is always in the game. This team is a threat to win every night out. So when you lose one, you're really kind of down. But you got you can add one thing to it. When they shoot the ball, they win. When they don't shoot, they're in a fight for their life any time out there because – they're not a big team at the guard position. Uh, they're not as deep as some teams that they play that's up near the top. But they uh, play extremely hard, play extremely well together. And somebody said, well, what, what, what makes them lose when they don't shoot? If they're not shooting the ball collectively, 
they're going to be in the game, but they're not going to win it generally. And that's that's basically the way it's happened all year. Wendell Green Jr. has really been one of the rocks of this team. And I think as he goes, so do the Auburn Tigers. And you add the addition of Broom, Johnny Broom, mm-hmm. on this Auburn Tigers program this year. Talk about the surprise that he has brought and the rebounding and just his versatility as well so far. Well, he's a great player in the Ohio Valley Conference. And that's a that's a basketball league, but it's not an SEC basketball league. Uh, I figured he would have adjustments to make because he'd be playing against somebody big every night. Well, he has made those adjustments extremely well. Uh, the guy, the guy rebounds a basketball. Uh, he shoots the ball good. Uh, he's kind of gone down in his free throw shooting. He shoots fifty-one percent of the field, and and but uh, defensive rebounds, offensive rebounds, uh, block shots. He's been terrific. He's fouled out a lot of uh, He's probably fouled more than he fouls more than anybody on the Auburn program because they're taking it in there because he's usually playing against somebody bigger than him. Coach, when you start looking at playing the number one now ranked team in the country, they came in to Auburn being ranked number three. But when you have seen a number one ranked team like you have and Alabama passing that eyeball test. Talk about the comparison between last year's Auburn's team and this year's Alabama team. And you've coached in this state and seen a lot of great basketball in this state. How great is it for the state of Alabama to have both teams that are playing elite basketball in back-to-back years and being very competitive? Because it's Alabama-Auburn, but anytime you can get these two teams that are ranked number one in the country in back-to-back years, that, that you've never been able to see that or say that. That's exactly right. Everybody now in the state has great arenas to go and draw big crowds. Everybody now can recruit all over the country because the name's been out there over the years. And uh, both teams, both Alabama and Auburn, both have great coaches. And they also do a good job of keeping players in the state that are good players. And But now recruiting has changed, to the, it changed so much that now you've got the transfers that, that make up most of every team. And you can be from anywhere because transfers are easier to get than out, go out and recruit a guy all year and, and uh, not get him. But uh, transfers has changed the game of basketball. The portal has changed the game of basketball more than anything else. I agree with you there. And I I think that it's important when you start looking at the portal and how it has changed the dynamics of all college athletics, but especially at Auburn, when you do have, again, a LeBaron Phylon, who is a young man here from Mobile, Alabama. He's only a junior, but when you're able to keep those in-state players coming out in the state, which are elite McDonald's type All-American players and you coached yes. a McDonald's All-American or two, and Charles Barkley probably liked McDonald's a lot more when you were coaching him there <laughs> than being a McDonald's All-American coach. But <laughs> talk about the difference in when you were coaching and now the coaching styles that the transfer portal has tr- created. Well, I said the transfer portal is changed the game. It's changed the game from a standpoint that you're always playing with experienced players. 
you're not playing with players that are coming out of high school and has to make the adjustment to the college game. And only the very best can do it now because he's faced up against a transfer that probably averaged double figures the place that he left from or else was a great rebounder or a shot blocker. And so the game has changed because of the, uh, of the transfer rules and the portal. And uh, we'll continue to get better because guys will uh, seek. You know, a guy go through a year and have a great year, and he realize a lot of people would want me, and it may I may pick another that would improve my pro chances, that type of thing. And uh, you're, you're going to see more experienced players coming into college basketball than ever before because they come in, they never leave. They go from one school to another. And you see, transfer is the name of the game right now, if you notice that. No question about it. We're talking with Sonny Smith, who was the head coach for the Auburn Tigers from 1978 to 1989. And, Coach, when you start looking again at the success that Bruce Pearl and the energy that he's brought to these Auburn Tigers and the fact that they were ranked number one in the country and are a couple of years removed from making it to the Final Four, the first in school history. What is it like to be around Bruce Pearl and to watch his program continue to achieve greatness? Well, it's terrific for me to watch somebody as good as him. He's great on the court. He's great in practice. He's a great game coach. And he gets out in the community and fires up people better than anybody. And the other thing that he's done, the student body just loves him. And he does things for the student body. Uh, there's a, he doesn't miss anything that, that is going to make the program at Auburn better. And I, uh, he's got great assistance. They recruit inside out, uh, starting out, you know, trying to control the city around the, the state of Alabama and the surrounding states. Uh, but they're good enough, and his name is big enough that he can recruit nationally and be effective there also. And being effective to finish out this season, I think to me the hidden factor for this Auburn Tigers basketball program is Alan Flanagan. I think Flanagan is the difference maker, and I know that he is only averaging 9.4 points per game, but I think if he's able to find a way to consistently get in double figures – I think that that can be the difference maker for this Auburn Tigers team making a push not only here to finish up the regular season because, again, they still have to come to Coleman Coliseum, and I think that matchup is going to be fine and fun and dandy, but I think that Flanagan is the difference maker for this team. Well, he's like one point out from double figures all the time. He's not shooting the ball as well as he can. He he can make uh, he can make the ball from three. Uh, he shoots free throws exceptionally well. Rebounds the ball big. He, he's he, he's a quality set type of big guy playing guard. You know everybody wants to have big guards that can play in and play out and handle the basketball and make free throws because you're going to handle it more than anybody else. And he's a quality player. And if he were to have uh, let's say. Uh, 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 finish a year with a great year, I think you would have a chance to be a pro. You have had a radio show with your nemesis on the basketball floor, but your friend off the floor, Wimp Sanderson. 
And yes. Alabama is now ranked number one in the country. Again, you having a chance to see that eyeball test up close and personal. What impressed you the most about that team that you saw this past Saturday in Auburn? The athletic ability of the players. They're tall, lean, athletic. They play hard. They play well together. They take care of the basketball, and they play at a speed that uh, sometimes is very difficult to guard. And uh, what, what, what really jumps out at me is the long, lean type athletic player that is strong and can shoot the basketball. And they got good depth, and they can come off the bench and hurt you there also. And they are well coached. They play extremely hard, play above the rim, and they can shoot the three. Uh, you can't ask for very much more than that. Well, I tell you, the Auburn Tigers, when you were coaching there, couldn't ask for much more than what you gave them while you were the coach there and the passion that you coach with still on the radio with Andy Burcham. I can see you sometimes on television. Looks like you're ready to go ahead and push the <laughs> officials out of the way and get out there on the floor with Bruce Pearl and be his next assistant coach. Looks like you could still get in a defensive stance sometimes, Coach, and I, I know that that's the name of the game, and defense ultimately wins championships. But for your honor, to every time that you walk into the arena at Auburn and to see your name in the banners and the rafters, what does that personally mean to you? Well, it's terrific. It's my home. Uh, and my family lives here. My kids live here. And it's it's just uh, Auburn is my home. Alabama is is the place I always want to be, and, and I want to be a part of the action. And Auburn has made that for me, being living, being able to live here amongst all this. Hall of Famer, and that's the Alabama Sports Hall of Famer, Sonny Smith, the former Auburn head basketball coach with us this afternoon. Coach Smith, look forward to always listening to your broadcast and, again, the excitement that you bring and your passion for the Auburn Tigers I know is appreciated. to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you on this final drive. We'd love to hear from you. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. 251-694-1055. And we'd love to hear, do you think the Alabama Crimson Tide are the number one team in the country? And again, Alabama Crimson Tide men's basketball program being ranked number one for the first time since 2002, jumping up two spots in the poll. Of course, you had Purdue that was ranked number one. They dropped to number three. And in at number two is Houston. And Alabama and Houston had an opportunity to go head-to-head. -head. So anytime you get a chance to go head-to-head -head with someone and you're able to beat them, Mike, I, I think that that makes it so much easier for the voters to go ahead and establish Alabama and validate them being ranked as the number one team in the country. And if Alabama is not the number one team in the country at this point in time in the season, who do you think is better than the Alabama Crimson Tide? I, it was weird that it took this long. 
uh, because Houston kind of stayed ahead after losing to Temple at home, and I understand they still have one less loss than Alabama. I believe still do because, again, they – I don't know why, but they didn't play. It's, you don't really see uh, a bye week in college basketball like that in, in the middle of February. Very odd that they didn't play this weekend. I, I don't know if that's just the schedule didn't – the schedule worked out that way for them. I, I don't know. I did, I've never really seen that before. Uh, but – yeah, again, I mean, we talked about it earlier. I was surprised that they did have Alabama jump Houston. I, I didn't expect to be ranked number one. And I, honestly, like, in, in discussing it with Alabama friends of mine for the last couple weeks, I've been saying, oh, I, you know, who cares about the AP ranking? We probably won't be ranked number one all season. Who cares? It's not a big deal. It's pretty cool. Uh, it, it, is, it is a pretty cool feeling. Obviously, in the grand scheme, what does it mean? Pretty much nothing. Uh, what is the difference between the Crimson Tide being ranked two, three, one going into March? There, there really is just no, uh, no real. Di- Obviously, you'd love to secure that number one overall seed, but ultimately, you you got a job to do. So it it just doesn't it doesn't mean a whole lot outside of uh, like NATO said it today. You know, you're being recognized, and that's nice. That's all well and good, but you got to avoid that rat poison. And uh, and you still have a job to do starts on uh, starts on Wednesday with Tennessee. And again, there's no gimme when you start looking at after being ranked number one. Sometimes you have a team that's inferior to what your record is, whether that's the bottom dwellers of the SEC. But there's no bottom dweller for the Alabama Crimson Tide coming up next on their schedule are the Tennessee Volunteers who are ranked number 10 in the country. And it goes Alabama, Houston, Purdue, UCLA, Kansas, Texas. Virginia, Arizona, Baylor, and then, of course, the Tennessee Volunteers. And to have two ranked top 10 teams in the country in the SEC, it's a great matchup when you start looking at must-see television that is coming up as far as from a basketball viewership standpoint because I know a lot of people are wanting to know, is this Alabama team a, a, a fluke? Do they really have what it takes to consistently night in and night out get it done? And sometimes they have played teams that they have absolutely demolished in the SEC when you start looking at the way that they were able to handle the LSU Tigers. That that in and of itself shows what they are capable of doing. But can you consistently do it against other teams in the SEC with six games remaining? I think that's going to be the biggest question and I I don't know Mike if Alabama is truly the number one team in the country because again you tend to say all right well Kansas they're at 20 and 5 UCLA is quietly at 21 and 4 getting things done on the west coast and 23 and 10 by Houston and coach Sampson is very impressive as well and out of those two losses, one of those coming to the Alabama Crimson Tide. So if you really want to look at analytics and you want to look at head-to-head matchups, that is a great show for the Alabama Crimson Tide in regards to their strength of schedule and how it, how they wound up becoming the number one team in the country. And that's what I look forward to seeing. Can Alabama find a way to hold on? And Coach Sonny Smith just mentioned it, the depth of the Alabama Crimson Tide. You just don't know who's going to show up and be that next big-time performer because, really, we know about Miller being the consistent performer 
for the Crimson Tide and the comparisons that people are making. He's definitely a lottery pick and definitely a one and done for the Crimson Tide. But when he's not playing well, there have been a couple of games this year where he has not scored in the first half. I mean, he wasn't even he wasn't great on he wasn't terrible on Saturday, but he wasn't great. What's so impressive about Brandon Miller for such a young kid, uh, he he finds ways to stay involved. Uh, on both ends of the floor, even when he's not having his best night. Obviously, he was 0-7 from the three-point line on Saturday, but he's still affecting the game on both ends of the floor. I mean, he he comes in for a huge tip-in uh, basket towards towards the end. I think I was with like five minutes left, and I mean, he's coming along as a defender. He he's such an impressive young man. He he's gotten better as the season has gone on. And it, just just a really special young player. Well, he's definitely a special young player. And if you look at his posterizing jam that he had in the Auburn game, it's one of those to where he did not actually grab the rim and make it a clean slam dunk, but he did rise above and absolutely put the Auburn defender on a poster. And I know that, again, I'm not quite sure if Alabama – is going to consistently be throughout the rest of the polls the number one ranked team in the country, but we're going to find out. Uh, we'll go out to Roland right now. We'll take a phone call. Roland, welcome to the uh, final yeah, drive. I just to, yeah, hey, I just wanted to say that um, I guess that's Michael. Is that Michael is saying that he doesn't know, he does not sure, he's whatever? Is that Michael is saying that? About what? About whether or not Bama has got, you know, the stamina, the, you know, whether or not they're going to be able to, you know, hang in there and, and whatever. Um, I mean, you know, they, uh, they actually, you know, they actually run 11 or 12 people out on the court. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're probably the deepest team in the country. And, Roland, I think that's yeah. one of the things and, that. Um, you know, and it's, it's also been said that, you know, throughout the season, you might want to find seven or eight that you can, um, you know, you can depend on or hang with. But but how are you going to keep, you know, Jawan Gary, um, you know, um, uh, some of those, you know, some of those guys off the off the floor? So you, you just might got to stick with the. I mean, not, I don't think anybody's got twelve people that they run on the floor day in and day out. Yeah, I think that that's part of that NATO system. And that's that's one of the things that I, I do, Coach Sonny Smith, who was on the segment earlier with us, he mentioned one of the things that stood out the most to him was the depth of the Alabama Crimson Tide and the ability to where when one of the best players on the floor is not playing the best, whether that be Brandon Miller turning around, you, you look at Clowney and the way that Noah Clowney's been able to play just consistently consistency rolling do you think that against the Tennessee Volunteers that you'll see the type of defensive consistently and the Alabama Crimson Tide not buying into the rat poison that's now on their chest well I mean if you're asking me about Tennessee they're great defensively they are not great offensively and you know there's of course it's going to be at home you know and you know, in in Nashville, I'm sorry, Knoxville, and um, you know, you know, who knows? But in Tennessee, you'll have to score. You know, against especially if Miller gets loose, 
I mean, I mean, I don't know, Quinterly, you know, Griffin, if, you know, if two or three of those get hot. Uh, yeah, um, my wife just said Sears, you know. You, you just, and I don't know, if, I think they're going to beat Tennessee. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward. That's a must-see TV game, a top-ten matchup in this in this hostile environment that Alabama is going to be walking into. And, Roland, want to thank you for calling into the final drive today on our debut show. And when you start looking at what Tennessee averaged, you talk about what they averaged. They averaged 72.5 points per game, and Alabama comes in averaging 83.4 points per game. So that dynamic is going to be interesting. Alabama giving up 68.7 points per game. Tennessee stingy defensively, only giving up 56.3. And will you have another low-scoring game like you did in the Auburn-Tennessee game to where it was 46-43? I'm not quite sure it'll be at that pace, but I guarantee we'll see some great basketball that we all look forward to watching on Wednesday. You're tuned in to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner in today's debut show right here on WNSP. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. Wait for the call with former SEC official and current personal injury lawyer, Dean Wade. And we wait for the review. For more than 20 years, Dean Waite has been representing car accident and injury victims in Mobile and Baldwin County. Now, with the official call, here are Corey LeBounty and Dean Waite. Here's a call. After review. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, folks, no need to wait any longer because we do have Dean Waite and Welcome to the final drive, Dean, and it's always a pleasure to have you on, and especially under Super Sunday, Super Bowl situations to where you were hoping we wouldn't have to be waiting on a call to be made, but there was a critical pass interference call that was made as the Philadelphia Eagles, James Bradbury, on third down and eight Mm -hmm. was called for a pass interference call that affected the outcome of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if that doesn't get called, then the Eagles are, are kicking – or excuse me, the Chiefs are kicking, you know, a, a field goal with a lot more time on the clock. So, I, I was not a huge fan of that call. I mean, it did, yes, did he grab his jersey? I just thought it was so early in the route that they they could have they could have just let that go. I didn't think at the end of the day it – really affected the play all that much um and so what it did you know gets called now you know it allows the chiefs to basically run the clock out you know and kick a field goal with what 11 seconds left um and so i just did you know especially that you know they let uh i guess earlier in the game you know they let something go that had a way more contact you know the the the, uh, eagles defensive back was all over the chiefs receiver clearly affected his route his ability to catch the ball they didn't call it and then you get this which to me was much less so and they call it so there's just a lack of consistency there that i think some people are frustrated with as a former sec official when you start talking about making the correct call 
one of the things that I know was talked about and has been talked about is when you go ahead and you find a crew for the Super Bowl, it is a crew that probably has not worked together for the entire year. What you do is you try to come up with an all-star type of crew. You try to take the best that have been evaluated throughout the entire year. Whereas in the college football final, you'll take an entire crew and you will put them on postseason football. So there aren't any weird flags and the officials are able to feed off of one another and know one another. Yeah. In this situation, the NFL and in the Super Bowl approach, they don't take an entire crew. They take different aspects of officials and put them into this game. And I think that that makes a difference in this type of environment as well. It can. I mean, it's definitely what you call an all-star crew where you're taking the top-rated guys at each position and uh, and putting them together. And uh, there's a lot of value in working with the same guys for an entire season. Um you know, you just get you get super comfortable with each other. You know tendencies. You know, you just get it, it just flows better. So there is the potential for, you know, just some just look, things that looked a little bit disjointed when guys hadn't worked together all year long. So, um, you know, in college, most of the time it's an all star crew, but it, they really leave it up to the conference. I mean, so the the officiating assignments are doled out by the head of officials, and he says, "Hey, uh, ACC, you've got the Liberty Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the whatever bowl, and this bowl." And then they leave it up to the conference to assign the officials out. Well, that could be a crew. It could be the same crew that's worked together all year, or it could be an all-star crew. Everybody does it differently. But I, I, I'm a huge believer in the crew concept of working with uh, the same guys. And now I can say girls, same guys and gals all year long. It just it just breeds consistency and, 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 and comfort, uh, comfort level that, that works. Dean, for a minute there, uh, I didn't know what we were going to talk to you about today. Uh, for last night, for most of the, for fifty eight minutes, didn't really have didn't <laughs> yeah. really have any major issues yeah. with how the game was called. You brought up the uh, the non call. I think it was Juju Smith Schuster, yeah. and actually both receivers were kind of getting pulled. Yeah, but you brought it up. I mean, the name of the game is consistency. They right. established a precedent of letting that go all night. This happened last year's Super Bowl too. The third and goal uh, holding pass interference on Logan Wilson uh, on the goal line for the Rams. We- so I gotta ask, like, at what point, as a ref, do you say do you, do you say it's been established we're letting them play? Let's let's keep a flag in the pocket here in a game deciding situation. Or does the does the fact that it's a game deciding situation not even affect the call? I know what you're gonna say, because <laughs> because we've had this conversation almost every week. But does that factor in at all? That like you don't want the refs to essentially decide the game. I mean, I think there's a the human element comes in in bigger. I've said this all along. In bigger games, you normally get less flags, which I think we saw last night. I don't know what the total number of, of, of fouls was, but usually the bigger the game, the, the the less laundry you have on the ground. Because I think the officials do tend to have this sort of mentality of of, of letting them play a little bit. Let's 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 not be the guys that decide so if you've done that all game like you just said you got to you got to stick with that and that to me that was just minimal contact uh, on that route on, on that third down call late in the, very late in the game that just wasn't that was wasn't anything they'd called all game long so why do you want to call it then um and it you know i don't know who knows whether the eagles would have come back and won the game or not but they would have sure had a lot more time 
But uh, it was just a different. It was it was ticky tack to me when they hadn't been calling it ticky tack all game long, and you, that's what's frustrating. You mentioned the number of penalties that were called. Three penalties against the Chiefs for only 14 yards. Six yeah. penalties for 33 against the Eagles. Yeah. And when you start looking at the critical down and distance situation, third and eight, that sets you up and gets you an automatic first down. Only nine penalty yeah. flags total, which is not a lot it's for anything, a Super Bowl. Anything under 10 is not a lot for any game. I mean, that's a that's a low number of fouls, but it, it, it goes to the – that the bigger the game usually you're going to get less fouls called you get generally speaking the teams play cleaner the officials are wanting to let them play more probably just from a purely human nature psychological standpoint um but anyway so i'm not surprised at all it was less than 10 fouls uh, being less than 10 fouls it gives you a a good flow because yeah. again as an official myself I officiate high school basketball, and it's one of those that definitely any of our high school officials, you're not doing it for the love of money. Right. And when you look at the next level, whether it's collegiately or professionally, you get paid a handsome amount of money to not only know the rules, but to enforce the rules. But the biggest word that you hear from any fan, from any coach, is consistency. That is the biggest thing. And I think that the head of officials really brought that out in the NFL saying, okay, if it is a foul in the first quarter, mm -hmm. it has to be a foul in the fourth quarter. Sure. And that is what you want to see as a coach and even as a player. You want to see the consistency now. Again, do you want to see the Super Bowl come down to a, a flag coming out that you wish you would have – left in your pocket right no you don't do not but when you start looking at by definition by rule did we have pass interference yes we did do we wish that it would not have been thrown from a fan perspective absolutely you don't want it to be thrown because right. again what happens though if you don't throw that flag yeah I nothing uh, yeah, <laughs> I nothing happened i don't think it last night on, in, on that play I mean, I watched it live. At no point did I think, "Man, that's going that that needs to draw a flag right there." I mean, just that just was not my reaction in the immediate uh, time frame. And I don't think I don't think you would have heard anything about it. I honestly, don't. If that no flag comes out, I don't think we're talking about it at all right now. I really don't, uh, because I just thought, I think most people thought, just would look at that and say, "Ah, eh, that's that's nothing," <laughs> you know. You see, you've seen more egregious. Oh yeah, fouls called. And even in this game, with only nine hankies coming out and dirty laundry being on the field, you've definitely seen worse pass interference calls that were not made oh, yeah. versus ones that were made on the largest stage yeah. on the planet, in the biggest game in the planet. And I think what brings light to this is the commissioner's statements earlier in the week about the officiating being fine and being great and being in an even better state than it has ever been when you start talking about NFL officiating. And I think that because of that final call that was made right, wrong, or indifferent, I think that it really puts the light back on the commissioner saying, 
Commissioner, what did you just say about officiating being better than ever before? Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I will agree with that statement. I mean, these guys are – they receive more training than they've ever received in, in, in any point in officiating. Uh, they, they're, they're better. Uh, they're more in shape. They're um, – just there's more tools for them to do their job as well as they can. There's all everything's there, and so I, I, from that standpoint, I don't think. I know, but the the scrutiny is so much now that that I think these guys are as good as they've ever been. But there's so many more eyeballs on what's going on, and from a hundred different angles, and they're stopping, you know, plays all the time and looking at them for five minutes, and they, you know, so it, it's there's just so much more scrutiny. I have no doubt that these guys are as well-trained as they've ever been, though, and that they're doing as good a job as they've ever done. We're talking with Dean Wade, and we were waiting on a couple of calls last night. Devontae Smith, it's hard to define what is a catch and what is not a catch, and yeah. Devontae Smith had 100 receiving yards last night but would have had more than that if he would have officially had a reception on a play that they probably took four to five minutes to review. And at the Super Bowl, you're going to have more angles and more cameras than ever that's going to be able to validate whether there's a catch or not, whether there's a fumble or not. Yeah. And not only we, we focus and we harp on the pass interference play at its biggest moment in the Super Bowl, but there were a couple other moments, the Devontae Smith catch that we thought was a catch that they walked back and then they walked to and then they walked back again right, right. and then again there was a swing pass yeah. that went into the flat and the defender hit him as soon as he caught the football saying that he did not make a football move and the ball squirts out and we almost had our second right. scoop and score of the of the game yeah the, the swing pass i was i was fine with uh i thought that was the right call it, uh, well they ruled it a catch and then a fumble on the field I thought it was a correct reversal. I, I didn't think – I mean, he caught the ball and had barely turned around and got popped and the ball came out. So I don't think he had made en enough of a football move there for that to be a catch. Um, I'll be honest with you, I, the, the Devontae Smith, I'm, I'm, for some reason I'm not remembering that one. Uh, I do I, – I don't remember being disturbed by what happened on the field. I mean, the, the final decision. But I was definitely okay with the swing pass reversal. I don't, I don't think that was a catch. When you start looking at the use of instant replay, whether it be incorporated in the high school game or the collegiate game, when you start looking at all the angles, and, and I know that you being a former SEC official, that it's critical that at the end of the day you get the call right. And you're going to make 50% of the people upset with you, and the other 50% are going to be like, that's the way it should have gone to begin with. But I do think that instant replay and the availability of it, that there, there has to be some type of limitation mm -hmm. on it because too many times you do see the flow in the game just mm -hmm. be totally disruptive. And if it's delay in the game due to an injury, I totally understand right, that. Right. But to sit and look at a play for seven or eight minutes, yeah. I think that that really interferes yeah. with – the, the, the rhythm of the game it does there's no doubt and i've and and i've talked about this on on previous shows just i think they need to put a a time limit on you know if it can't be affirmed or reversed in within two minutes let's move on whatever the call in the field was let's we're going with it because it, it just takes too long it gets the game disjointed and it's too much 
We're talking with Dean Wade, and again, coming off of a huge Super Bowl call. We've talked about that and discussed that, and we'll have much more to talk about right here on the final drive on WNSP. Hey, everybody, this is Gabe Gross, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. <laughs> Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey LeBounty making his debut, making my big debut on WNSP 105.5, along with Michael Brauner behind the glass. In studio with me right now is Dean Wade, and we were talking about off of the air. What happens as an official when the conference admits that referees have made a mistake by overturning a call that should have led to a team winning or losing a game. That's what happened this weekend in college basketball is ACC officials say referees made a mistake by overturning a foul at the buzzer that led to Duke's overtime loss to Virginia. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, these guys are, are graded every, on every game. I mean, there's an observer there. They get, um, you know, they meet after the games with the observer. They talk about things. So, you know, they're probably will be some sort of when i say discipline it may mean uh you know they get moved off of a uh you know really big game they're supposed to do they may take them off that game and give them a, a lesser high profile game uh they may not award them uh postseason assignments or they, I mean, there are a bunch of things that can happen to the official that makes an incorrect ruling in that scenario um it can be terminated i mean if it's bad enough uh certainly you you can be not asked back for the next year um, you know, this one looks like it was a foul that should have been – it was called. It, it, it happened just before the buzzer. Should have awarded two free throws. They took the foul away and said it happened after the buzzer. It turns out, well, it actually happened before the buzzer went off. So, you know, it's uh, – there, there'll be some sort of discipline probably for it. I just don't – you know, they probably won't ever announce it. That's one of the biggest repercussions that I think people want to know. What are the repercussions yeah. for officials? Can they be suspended? Can they be fined themselves? Can they be terminated? And you're right. Public knowledge of that is really never known. Right. You just kind of go away and fade into yeah. the night. Yeah, they, so sometimes they'll come out and publicly announce what happened. Like they, I've seen them suspend an entire crew before uh, for giving it like an extra set of downs or something. That's a cardinal sin. Uh, so they'll announce that kind of thing. But it can be anything from, like I just said, giving you a lesser profile game, uh, suspending you, firing you. I mean, there's all kind of stuff. That can, it just depends on how bad it is. Well, we don't have to worry about suspending or firing Dean Wade <laughs> because he's the best in bringing us his analogies on officiating and his experience is invaluable here at WNSP. We want to thank him for always bringing us up to date on all the questionable calls and non-calls that are being made in the sporting world. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. I cannot believe it. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents. Win this game for one another. The final drive. 99 yards away. With Corey Law Bounty. Do your job and play together. The, the final, final drive. drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. 
Welcome to our number three of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And I'm Corey Labounty on the final drive along with Michael Brauner. And one of the great things about coming on board to WNSP, the time of year that I did is the WNSP Days of Revelry. And you have to make sure that during this hour that you tune in and become our third caller to get our Mardi Gras gift pack from Toomey's. You don't want to miss out on that because there's nothing like the boom boom and getting some nice moon pies or some great treats from Toomey's right here. Make sure you tune in and listen to that magic music that Michael Brauner will be playing. And again, somebody who listens and, and may know a thing or two about the Auburn Tigers. And again, we, right here on this show, you love to get the best of the best. And Zach Blackerby, who's locked on Auburn, can bring us the insight of all the Auburn Tigers comings and goings. And Zach, this is my debut here on the final drive. And I want to say hello and welcome to the final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. Hey, Corey. Yeah, nice to uh, nice to meet you over the phone. And I don't know if Bronner told you this, but you mentioned Moon Pies and Mardi Gras. Um, he told me when I was down there in Mobile last week that Moon Pie used to be his nickname. I don't know why, but he told me that. <laughs> well, you know, Moon Pie Michael, there's nothing. You, you, you have to have a catchy <laughs> Uh, a, a name like that. So Moon Pie Michael, it is Zach. And knew Zach was going to come in with something. <laughs> you you, you got to love the nicknames. But, Zach, when, when you start looking, we had Sonny Smith on earlier to kind of talk about what he sees firsthand of the Auburn Tigers basketball program. But the Auburn Tigers do lose a heartbreaker to the Alabama Crimson Tide and Coach Pearl talked about the opportunity that his Tiger team had to catch Alabama at the right time because th there's no better atmosphere than the jungle and the student section sitting right on top of the Alabama yeah. Crimson Tide, and they came up just a little bit short this past Saturday. Yeah, there's no question about it. I think that almost adds to the frustration of it, Corey, when, when you look at Really, everything that was kind of off the court that played into Saturday went in Auburn's favor. I mean, game day, the fact that the first two matchups, uh, first of the two matchups between these two teams this year was in Auburn. All the pressure, I think, was on Alabama. Auburn kind of got a chance to play spoiler, and it didn't really happen. And that's just kind of been the story of this team. So far, I mean, there's two games where, like, it was close with four minutes left to go, and Auburn's pulled through and been able to close, Northwestern, Florida. And outside of that, it's just, you know, even if Auburn has to storm back and kind of get back into contention, like um, when they went to West Virginia a few weeks ago, it seems like it's always close, you know, with the Texas A&M, you know, getting swept by Texas A&M. Both those games were actually kind of similar. And you just look at it, and Auburn's in play, with just a few minutes left to go, in a lot of cases, they had the lead, like this past Saturday. And it's just they can't close, Corey. And I think some of that has to do with talent. And over the course of 40 minutes, you know, the case, especially against Alabama, they're just a deeper, better basketball team. I don't think it takes an expert to really be able to look at you and look at the, the game and tell you that. But 
I don't know if there's just this dude on the roster outside of Wendell Green that really, really wants it. I think there's guys that have the talent, like a Jalen Williams or a Jani Broom. But for whatever reason, when it's close at the end of the game, those guys don't seem to want the basketball. And so Wendell Green gets all this criticism, but he's really the only dude who wants it when it's close with just a few minutes left to go in the game. So um, it's tough. I think some of it's personnel. I think some of it is just kind of, you know, the, the collection of the pieces of this roster aren't creating this machine that we thought it would. And um, it's a shame. I mean, Auburn's lost a lot of games this year um, because of that. Well, you know, you're looking at the Auburn Tigers being on the NCAA bubble and they need to finish strong. And right now they'll have an opportunity tomorrow to avoid having their heart broken on Valentine's Day by the Missouri Tigers. So it's Tigers versus Tigers tomorrow. And Missouri's a team that sits at 19 and six looking to get that 20th win. And Missouri comes off a huge win against the Tennessee Volunteers in buzzer beater fashion. So Auburn's looking to rebound and Missouri's looking to build off of. Yeah, and, you know, the fact that it's in Auburn helps. I don't think there's any question. Um, I don't think there's any question about that, but it's just what is this team going to do? I mean, they can respond or they can just kind of say, you know what, no, this is, this is who we are. And we'll see who steps up, who's the leader outside of Wendell Green. It's an old team. You know, there's plenty of veterans that can step up. It could be Jalen Williams. It could be Alan Flanagan. It could be a Katie Johnson. There's there's dudes where you can kind of talk yourself into saying, okay, yeah, you know, him stepping up is the path to Auburn taking that next step. But you just look at the rest of their schedule, and I don't have it in front of me, of course. I may get the order out of black, but they play Alabama again. They play Tennessee again. Missouri's a good team. Bandy all of a sudden is better than we thought that they would be. you got to go to Nashville. And it's just the, the makeup of the, this roster or of the schedule. It looks like Ole Miss is the only, like, definite win over these last six games. And so Auburn, like you said, they are on the bubble. And I wasn't really ready to say that until after this past Saturday's loss. The last half full way of looking at it is going into Saturday. All their projections had Auburn going 11-7 and in SEC play. And that would tie them with Florida. And due to the head-to-head, Auburn would get that four seed, and Florida would slide to five. And those projections don't change because they were projected to lose to Alabama this past Saturday. So we'll see if um, we'll see if those projections are true. They've got Auburn um, expected to win. When you look at the S and P Plus and all that good stuff, they've got Auburn projected to win tomorrow. So we'll see if they can close it. Um, I'm skeptical. I'm being honest with you, Corey. Well, when you start looking at who Auburn, you mentioned having Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Kentucky is one of those teams that is fighting for yeah, their life go. as well. But you know what? When you have Alabama left on the schedule, Tennessee left on the schedule, Kentucky left on the schedule, those are all games that are going to be tough. And this is before Kentucky loses to Georgia that Coach Bruce Pearl said, our, our schedule is one of the most brutal in the country coming down the stretch. And if Auburn's mm-hmm. able to go ahead and take care of Ole Miss and they're able to take care of Vanderbilt, games that Auburn feels that they must have and they must win, Kentucky looks great on a resume in regards to even Kentucky being at 16-9. and nine. But if you're able to find a way 
to beat either Alabama and or Tennessee down the stretch, I think that does wonders for you going into the SEC tournament and trying to play with a little momentum going into the tournament, not having all the pressure of winning the SEC tournament to be guaranteed to get in. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And and look, I mean, this, this Auburn team a few years ago in 2019, they got blitzed by Kentucky. I think they lost by like 40 points, and that was in late February. I'm not saying that that's going to happen to this team, but I'm just saying we see it every year where a team in college basketball gets hot that we're not expecting them to, and then you blink, you look up, and you know maybe they have a conference tournament rec, uh, championship, and then they're off in the Sweet 16. Could that be this Auburn team? Sure, it could. I'm not banking on it, but... You know, there's going to be teams throughout college basketball that get hot. Auburn have the talent to heat up and to play well. They just never really figured it out. And there's certainly a chance that, you know, Wendell can start being a little bit more effective behind the arc. There's a chance that Jalen Williams can just kind of figure it out mentally and just take over basketball games. Jani Broom becoming more consistent. Um, there, there's, there's a path to this Auburn team playing well. They just haven't really figured it out quite yet. We're speaking with Zach Blackerby from Locked On Auburn. And I know, Mike, you definitely had Moon Pie Mike, it is going to be, <laughs> according to Zach yeah. Blackerby. You wanted to ask Zach something, Mike. Zach, uh, Bruce Pearl said today an interesting line. He kind of called tomorrow's game against Missouri the biggest game of the year, which seemed unfathomable a week ago. But this team is a bubble team, like you said. W- would you agree with Coach Pearl that this is probably, as of right now, the biggest game of the year? I guess all six of them moving forward are the biggest game of the year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you lose one or two more, it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to get in. So, um, especially with the way the bubble is looking, it's a, it's a fairly competitive bubble, and I think it's going to make for a really good NCAA tournament. And you want Auburn in there. You certainly want Auburn in there. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with them. I don't disagree with them, but I'm sure – you know, going into uh, going into Saturday's game, he probably said Saturday's game was the most important of the season, too. So, um, we'll see. We'll definitely see. I, there's no question that it's, it's important. I don't know if it's the most important, but as far as a coach and as far as sending a message, you know, trying to get fan support on Valentine's Day and things like that, that's probably, I think there's probably a little bit of coach speak in there, but there's no doubt that it's important. Well, one of the big things that is important, not only for the Auburn basketball team, when you start switching gears and talking Auburn basket, excuse me, Auburn football, and Hugh Freeze and his immediate impact of that hire and being able to tap in to the recruiting process and signing day and just being able to get him a staff and the continuity. I know talking to a lot of local high school coaches here in Mobile, they felt he's done a tremendous job digging in early on making headway in learning a lot of these coaches and assistant coaches to find out where the top talent is here in the state of Alabama and building relationships. We've never seen a coach in the history of Auburn football prioritize recruiting and acquiring talent that we have with Hugh Freeze already, already in a short time at Auburn. And I think his scheme and his coaching, his development is going to be good, guys. I mean, it's impossible to really tell because we haven't seen that yet. But the proof of concept that's already been formed on the recruiting trail, I mean, he's doing stuff that we've just never seen at Auburn before. A guy that just wakes up thinking about recruiting, thinks about it every second of the day, 
goes to bed thinking about it, probably stays up thinking about, you know, looking forward to talking to this four-star corner, five-star defensive end, whatever it may be. He's all over it. Like we've seen Malzahn, he always he had a he had pretty good classes, eight to twelve range, and you know that would always be fourth or fifth in the SEC. Hugh Freeze isn't going to be content with an eight to twelve. He he wants a top five class, and with what he's been able to do so far with salvaging the twenty twenty three class was nothing short of amazing. Seven flips to round out that class is pretty pretty stinking amazing. And then just going out and getting 12 guys to the transfer portal. And then already what he's done. I mean, the, the Walker-White win, um, impressive. Impressive stuff. The quarterback from Arkansas winning that battle over Clemson and Baylor. Um, we've never really seen a, another coach do that. And so I'm curious to see what's next for him. And it sounds like, you know, they're, they're already offering guys and, and you know, people are People are tweeting out that you know after a great talk with you, Freeze. I've been offered by Auburn University, which is all which is all well and good. You're seeing that everywhere, but I just it just seems like there's more to it than what we've seen with Brian Harson and Gus Malzahn, even going back to Gene Chizik and Tommy Tuberville. So, yeah, he gets it and developing relationships with high school coaches, developing relationships with you know just prominent figures throughout the state. He's ready to play the game. He's not too big for it. He approaches every conversation that he has with a lot of humility, and it's been really, really impressive. I, I didn't realize he would much as he's done in such a short amount of time. It's been nothing short of, of uh, remarkable. Well, I know that iron sharpens iron, and I think you're only going to be as good as the staff that you put in place. And I think that that was going to be critical, not only from his personal standpoint, because he already had a footprint here in the Southeast and New Mississippi sure. and Alabama and Georgia and Florida. But his staff was going to be important in maintaining Cadillac Williams and the passion and the fire that Cadillac Williams brought in his interim tag term as the Auburn head coach, I thought was very important also. Yeah. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner behind the glass. And each and every Super Bowl Sunday, we always look forward to hearing those commercials. And one of the people that I definitely wanted to talk to and wanted to see what kind of commercial was going to come up was the inventor of some outstanding content in the past. We've gone back to the future. We've seen The Godfather. We've seen a license to sue. And this past Super Bowl Sunday, we were able to get a little Ferris Bueller action going on David J. Maloney's Super Bowl commercials. David J. Maloney, good afternoon, and welcome to the final drive on WNSP. Thanks for having me, Corey. It's my pleasure. I just wanted to talk to you about your most recent commercial that you had yesterday that aired, and you took the Ferris Bueller's day off mentality to where I know as an attorney you don't take any time off because you're always returning calls. So talk to us what went into the Ferris Bueller's day off spinoff. 
Well, you know, the, the first thing is, is, you know, since accidents don't take a day off, I really don't get a day off. And so it's funny, even when I do have a day off, I'm always returning calls. It kind of came up in the, 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 the commercial that we called My Dad when my son shot all the footage when he was 10 years old, way back when, of a vacation of us in New York, when, you know, through while we're at the Freedom Tower and we're here and we're there, I'm still returning calls. And so, you know, that was the, the idea of that. That one actually came one morning. I woke up and he was, he had been making these little videos on his iPad of the family vacation. We kept seeing me with a phone in my hand and all of these things we were doing. And I'm like, we should show it from his perspective. Well, this was kind of a continuation of that a little bit. I wanted to do an iconic 80s movie. I wanted to do something that was feel good. The movie was always one of my favorites. And so I came up with this idea of, well, what if, what if we did, re replicated all the iconic scenes from this movie, but in every scene I still have a phone in my hand and I'm still working? <clears throat> and that's how it kind of came about. Well, I tell you what, the, the ideas are priceless when you start talking about a year ago going back to the future. And, I, you know, I love movies, uh, especially great 80s and 90s movies. But when you brought James Bond into effect with your Super Bowl commercial, how awesome was that to say, hey, look, one of the guys that america really does love and admire or is really known throughout the world and globally in james bond to do a spinoff on that how cool was that well the idea on that one was that you know at that time there was that no time to die was supposed to come out in theaters earlier but because theaters were shut down because of covid they held off the release date and there was all the and and daniel craig had already announced that he was no longer going to do any more bond films so there was all this all this, all these thoughts, and still to this day, there's all this talk. Who's going to be the new Bond? Who's going to be the new Bond? So I thought, well, you know what? If we could do a movie, I always thought doing a movie preview would be a cool idea. And having it say, this preview is approved for all audiences, and then do some sort of parody of a movie thing. And so when this thing came up with Bond, not, you know, not, and people not knowing who the next Bond would be, I thought, well, you know what? Let's make it look like a new Bond movie. We'll do the preview. We'll do the circles with the dots crossing the screen. We'll give it kind of that suspense spy-like music. And then, you know, we'll have, you know, the M character, Dame Judi Dench or somebody similar to her. You know, and the whole idea was somebody would come up and say, you know, um, you know, we've got, you know, we've got an agent that's down. And, you know, uh, we need to, should we call double O? And she goes, no, I want somebody better. And then it ends up being me. And the great, the, the interesting thing was since this was during the pandemic and everybody was masking, it was allowed, it was able for me to do this, this thing where I would do the, where I would do all the parts, the action scenes, and I'd either have a helmet on or you would, or you, you, or you wouldn't see the head or you'd see just the feet getting out of the car or you would, you know, and then you'd see me run, you'd see the mask, and then there would be the mask, and the reveal would come off, and it'd be me. And so that's kind of how that came about. But I mean, it was, it was, it was, that was fun to do. Um, a lot of running, a lot of running. And you had to, I watched a lot of spy movies so I could see how they ran in the spy movies, and then I decided to run just like that. 
Well, I tell you what, what you what you can't run from is the outstanding original content that you come up with your Super Bowl commercials. And before I let you go, out of the, the scenes that you've done, I, I think one of the funniest ones to me was you sitting on top of the 18-wheeler on a tricycle. But out of all the ones that you've done, what has been your personal favorite now that you've been doing it for quite a few years? Well, you know, um, I, I'll, I'll, there, you got two points there. One is the scooter on a desk on a truck, and, and I've got to give credit where credit is due. That actually goes to my son, and what kind of happened there was we were, I decided, you know, we see all these personal injury lawyers, and some of them, honestly, are just ridiculous, and some of them, some of the ads I really think kind of um, make the profession look bad. Um, and so, you know, I never liked the ones where there were crash cars behind them, so I decided to make fun of those. I never liked the ones where they put money where they go, this is how much money we got people. Because the fact of the matter is it's misleading. Every case is different. Every case is a different value. And then people have uh, unreasonable expectations of what the case may be worth. It's kind of a bait and switch. And I think it's, I, I, I just, I don't, I, I have an ethical issue with it. So it gave me the opportunity to make, make fun of those ads where they say, this is how much money I get you, because I don't think lawyers should be able to do those. And then, of course, where this mobile monkey wrench thing came about was we had a guy for a period of time who used to be able to call himself the Alabama Hammer until he got sued for, 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 until he got sued for um, copyright infringement laws. So that's why he's no longer called the Alabama Hammer, by the way. Um, and, and, uh, and I thought calling myself the mobile monkey wrench was kind of a funny jab at that. And then the scooter on a desk in a truck was obviously a shot at, you know, the, the lawyer ads with somebody tough standing on a truck trying to act, you know, like a tough guy. And I, and I thought, how can I make that as, how can I show people exactly how silly that is? And we thought we would put a motorcycle on a car on a truck, but the weight wouldn't bear it. And then my son was the one we was like, well, you could use my scooter. And then he goes, and then we, were, we had this whole conversation about how, um, how in comedy, the use of the sound, like Don Rickles would say, you know, call people a hockey puck. There's nothing funny about calling somebody a hockey puck generically. I mean, it just isn't. It's just hockey puck. And there's something about the sound that makes a joke funnier. And comedians have talked about it for years. So when I thought scooter, desk, truck, I thought, that would sound really funny. And if I could be really silly while I'm doing it, you know, in almost a uh, uh, feral kind of way, you know, it, then I thought that would, that would carry through. So that's kind of how that came about. But the one that I kind of like the most personally is the Godfather one. Um, because from a cinematography standpoint, um, it, I mean, this one, there, by the way, you can go online and look at the Ferris Bueller one that we just did. Um, you can see David Kimmelay say off, and there's comparison video online right now of the two. And you'll see how close we got to the actual original movie. Well, there's also one with the Godfather one that will show you how close we got to the original movie um, from a parody standpoint. And that was so, from a cinematography standpoint, to take what is considered by many to be the best movie ever made. No question about that. To me, that's the one. Well, I appreciate you taking a little time out of your afternoon to share with us your Super Bowl commercials and your favorite one of all time. And you can continue to listen to David J. Maloney in the morning with Mark Heim and Lee Shervania. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP.
Hi, I'm Bobby Humphrey, and when I'm in Mobile, I'm listening to WNSP FM 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner behind the glass. And our next guest is no stranger to the Mobile, Alabama market. Robbie Baker used to be a sports reporter on WKRG Channel 5. Moved out to the Phoenix, Arizona market where he attended college at Arizona State. And I was blessed enough, as soon as Robbie Baker made his move to the Phoenix, Arizona area, to have an opportunity to go out and see Robbie Baker in Arizona, where he currently is and works for Fox 10 Phoenix. And Robbie was at the Super Bowl last night. And Robbie, I know you're probably running on fumes, but what a pleasure it is to have you on the final drive on WNSP this afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me, Corey. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, running on adrenaline and about six cups of coffee right now, but that's also, you know, that's a normal Monday for me. And uh, a big congratulations to you as well, my friend, taking over that uh, drive time spot there on NSP. Thank you so much for that. And when you were in coverage of this Super Bowl, I know the week leading up to it is always fun. Media day is great. Having an opportunity to to catch up a little bit with Kadarius Tony, uh, the Blunt High School product right here in Mobile, Alabama. I know the go-ahead touchdown play, there was a special name for that that we found out today. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about what Andy Reid called that play that was Kadarius Tony's touchdown go-ahead catch. Yeah, it was funny. I think it was uh, Peter King uh, who Andy Reid was talking to after the game, but uh, Andy Reid divulged that the play call was called Dog. And, uh, you know, people were kind of like, wait, what? Uh, corn dog? And he said, yeah, you know, better than a corn dog with some mustard and ketchup. And that, that play call was apparently corn dog. And uh, it worked. Um, you know, Kadarius Tony, somebody I caught up with an opening night a week ago, which a week ago seems like 10 years ago now. <laughs> it's been such a blur the last week. But I knew Kadarius was dealing with a leg injury leading into the Super Bowl coming out of the AFC Championship game. But when I talked to him last Monday, he said, you know, he was going to be healthy. He was going to be ready to go. And the Chiefs didn't really use him a lot uh, in the early stages of that game. He was on the bench for a lot of the uh, early offensive drives, which is not a huge surprise because they rotate so many guys through. They have so many weapons on that offense. But when his number was called, he made the most of it. And, you know, it, it really showed the genius of Andy Reid there because, and Eric Bieniemy too, the offensive coordinator, because the Eagles are playing a lot of man-to-man coverage throughout the game. That's something they did all year. They bring pressure with their fantastic defensive line, and they let their corners go to work in man coverage. But the Chiefs use a lot of motion, and early on in the game, you could see at the end what the Chiefs were doing was they were playing uh, chess while the Eagles were playing checkers because the motions early on set up that Kadarius touchdown where Kadarius kind of faked to be in motion. He took two steps in, set himself at the line of scrimmage, and Darius Slay, the safety, thought he was going to keep coming across the, the line of scrimmage there, uh, coming across the uh, center, and instead he cut back to the end zone. Kelsey drew the double team, and Kadarius was wide open. And not only did he score the go-ahead touchdown, but Mobile is now in Super Bowl history 
because Kadarius also has the longest punt return in Super Bowl history now. He almost housed one uh, just a few possessions later. So an uh, unbelievable night for him. It really was, and anytime you get a chance to talk about the 251 at Mobile, Alabama, especially on a Super Bowl stage, when the Chiefs received that trade from the Giants, I said, well, there's your, your replacement there for Cheetah and Tariq Hill, and I knew immediately that if he stays healthy, he's going to be an impactful player for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm glad that he was able to make history and continue to forever be remembered for the time being as having the longest return in Super Bowl history and almost the first punt return in Super Bowl history. But one of the biggest questions and concerns was what was going on with the playing surface? I know Jalen Hurts had to change his Jordan cleats. And when you start talking about changing cleats, you would think that the turf or the playing surface would be immaculate and in great playing condition. But there were so many complaints about that playing surface and I know Phoenix, Arizona had wonderful and outstanding weather. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually on uh, the morning show with Mark and Lee this morning. We were talking about the same thing. And it's interesting because the Chiefs obviously started week one against the Cardinals at State Farm Stadium. And Chiefs fans will remember that the uh, kicker, Harrison Butker, actually slipped on a kickoff and rolled his ankle. And the Chiefs safety, Justin Reed, had to end up taking over kicking duties as the emergency kicker in week one because uh, Harrison Bucker got injured because of the turf. And after the game, Andy Reid and some other players are really critical of the Cardinals' field. Um, and that's something that we've seen, we saw ended up kind of uh, playing a part throughout the Cardinals' regular season. But this was not the Cardinals' field, quote-unquote. This field was grown somewhere else. It was manicured over uh, two years. It was rolled up, delivered to State Farm Stadium, laid out on the, uh, the kind of track they have there because the field can be rolled in and out. It was outside of the stadium for most of the time leading up to the Super Bowl so it could receive sunlight, and they painted it and everything. Um, and it was weird because in person, it, it didn't the uh, issues of the field, I guess, didn't really – uh, come to light, I guess, in person. You couldn't really tell how much guys were slipping in person, but going back and watching some of the clips and seeing guys on even touchdown celebrations sliding around, uh, it wasn't a, a great look, I guess you could say, uh, for the NFL, considering how much money they spent on that field. Um, but for people kind of, you know, piling on, you know, State Farm Stadium and stuff, that was not even the normal grass that, that would be in there, even though the normal grass that they have at State Farm Stadium had its own issues this year. Um, this was special Super Bowl sod and grass that was grown and flown in for this game or driven in for this game, and it didn't hold up. I saw some, I think Ian Rappaport said that the second half was worse because the halftime show, you know, when it was on the grass, it heated it up in a way and moisture was on it, and that way it became uh, a little slicker in the second half. I don't know, you know, how much that may have played a factor or not, but uh, certainly the, the turf being one of the major storylines coming out of that game is probably not great for the NFL, but how great that game was, I think, will overshadow anything uh, kind of negative coming out about it. That's one of the things that we wanted to see as viewers, as lovers of football. We wanted to see a great game and really don't like the way that it ended in regards to a penalty flag being the deciding factor in that game. But credit to the Kansas City Chiefs. They still had to make that field goal to go ahead and get the win. And again, a Hail Mary, which would have been over 85 or 80 yards, uh, would have been pretty remarkable and, and would have gone probably down as the greatest play in the history of sports. Sports, but 
We're talking with Robbie Baker of Fox 10 Phoenix. And, Robbie, the Phoenix Suns have been very busy with new management, a new owner, and they make a blockbuster trade for Kevin Durant. I know there has to be excitement when Durant gets healthy to see how he's going to fit into the Phoenix Suns uniform and this new team that they're going to form. Oh, my gosh, Corey. It has just been sports haymakers <laughs> right out here in the Phoenix market. This last week, uh, you know, Matt Ishpia was introduced as the Suns owner on Wednesday. And during his press conference, he mentioned how he wasn't really concerned necessarily about the luxury tax. He was willing to spend whatever money was needed to win the title. The Suns have never won an NBA championship. And bringing Kevin Durant to the Valley certainly put them in a position to do that. And, you know, even talking, we had a chance to really kind of catch up kind of one-on-one with uh, Matt Ishbia after his press conference. And he said, you know, they really weren't looking to uh, mortgage the long-term future of the franchise for uh, short-term gain, I guess, necessarily. They were going to look at anything that was on the table to improve the team. But I know Suns fans, and even me personally, were sad to see Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges go. They were two fantastic guys, not even as players, just guys, just fantastic guys. Uh, But they were also great players on the court. But when you have an opportunity to trade for a Kevin Durant, a top five, top ten player all time, a top five, top ten player all time scorer in NBA history, you got to make that move. Uh, and Kevin Durant's been rumored to have wanted to be a Phoenix Sun all the way dating back to last summer. They couldn't get a trade done last summer. They had to pull in the trigger right before the deadline here uh, last week. And he practiced today at the Verizon 5G Center in Scottsdale. He's not cleared to play yet. He's still dealing with the knee injury he's recovering from. But, uh, yeah, when he takes the floor, that's starting five for the Suns. You know, you know these super teams, Corey, the, the depth is always the issue, and, and the Suns have had their injury issues this year. But if that starting five can stay healthy, I don't know if you can name another better starting five in the league. And this is a team that just a few years ago went to the finals and lost to the Bucks, and this, this town was just going crazy. Uh, this is a Suns town through and through, Phoenix is. And if Kevin Durant can take the Suns to and deliver – their first championship. Uh, he will be forever beloved here, that's for sure. Robbie Baker joining us on the final drive here on WNSP. Robbie, I want to thank you for taking time out of your afternoon to join us here on the final drive and look forward to talking to you in the future about spring training that always goes down in Scottsdale, Arizona, as well as how the Suns do in their final push in the second half of the season preparing for the playoffs. Hey, pitchers and catchers report on Wednesday. And then, yeah, uh, pencil me in for the uh, beginning of June. That's uh, when the NBA Finals start. So I'm just, I'm betting that the Suns will be there. No doubt about it. Robbie Baker from Fox 10 Phoenix joining us on the final drive on WNSP. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. Jennifer Hale here from the NFL on Fox. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP. And it's always great to have our next guest bringing you all the action that's going on in the golf world. Dan Hart, LLC, John Rachetti, Golf Report, Dan Hart, Engineered Products and Services. John Rachetti, what's going on in your neck of the woods this evening? Uh, well, Corey, uh, welcome aboard, man. Look forward to uh, working with you and uh, 
love the love the enthusiasm and the passion uh, to what you do and uh, looking forward to working with you so uh yeah, we're at Felix's Fish Camp tonight, 6 o'clock. Danny Spivey and myself will be on the air at 6. And uh, we got uh, you got we got Nick Wiggins with us today. And, of course, Michael uh, Bronner will be with us, too. So we got the whole A-team tonight. But uh, speaking of A-team, the PJ Tour just concluded uh, in, Phoenix, in Scottsdale, Arizona, the WM Waste Management Phoenix Open, which was won by Scotty Scheffler, as he repeated. Uh, he was the defending champion and uh, got it done yesterday, and and he also became the world number one player in the world, surplanted Rory McIlroy, who was in the field, and didn't really have his uh, didn't really have his stuff this weekend in the desert, and uh, he finished in the middle of the pack. But we got a world a new number one in the world of golf this week as the PGA Tour moves to California, as the Genesis open and some big news tiger woods will be in the field this week at riviera which uh I, the news broke on third on friday i believe it was and and i really Corey, had no idea that uh you know tiger was preparing to play again i knew he'd be at the masters which is i guess some six weeks seven weeks away but had no indications i didn't see any media anything on social media, anything about Tiger Woods hitting golf balls and the, his swing and so forth and his stamina, maybe, sh you know, him walking and playing. But uh, he's ready to go, apparently. Uh, he's, so he's in the field. He is the host of the tournament, uh, but he is in the field this week at Riviera. Well, we look forward to hearing all about that coming up next on the Dan Hart LLC. John Rachetti, Golf Report, Dan Hart Engineered Products and Services. Shetty, it's great to be part of the WNSP team, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll talk to you next Monday, Corey. Have a great week, man. Likewise, my friend. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in to the final drive, the debut of the final drive here on WNSP. And, again, it's going to be my pleasure to bring you all of the local action that's going on, whether it be high school football, basketball, soccer, volleyball, softball, want to bring that to you. And again, we have some great two-year colleges and institutions that we want to bring to the light. Bishop State, Spring Hill College, University of Mobile, Coastal Alabama South. We want the listeners to know about what's going on and where you can find out about all these local coaches and athletes. More importantly, how you go out to support them the way you have done so far with the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And again, I look forward to bringing a local flavor here to WNSP 105.5 and the final drive. And we're going to try to bring you great content each and every day. And you can continue to look to Twitter and Facebook and the rebranded and enhanced itemization that you'll see on WNSP. Again, the final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brauner, 3 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Look forward to bringing you that and all the local and exciting action that's going on. You can hear it right here on the final drive on WNSP. Until tomorrow, we'll do it all again the final drive on WNSP.